week on Super Skull, issue number 14, we are joined by a very special guest, Vault of Midnight staffer Amanda Aquino, plus our comic book picks for the week of November 11th, 2014, and plenty of speculation about stuff we kind of know about. your weekly comic book news podcast. I am Marcus Schwimmer, joined with my co-workers and friends, as always, Curtis Sullivan. Curtis, today we got ready for a new comic book day tomorrow, and we tore through some comics. It was outrageous. Yeah, we bagged and boarded, what, a thousand comic books today? Easily. An hour and a half? Yeah. It was ridiculous. We had a real assembly line. It was a real Henry Ford moment there. It was beautiful. That I really enjoyed. You remind me of Henry Ford, Curtis. (laughs) In, my, in the way that I monitor you all when you're not working. In a lot of ways. Yeah, thank you. The voice you hear is uh, Nick Wybar. Nick, last night was inventory. Oh, the yes, year, it was. The yearly inventory. We stayed up nice and late scanning book after book I after still, book. When I close my eyes, I'm not kidding, I see barcodes. Do you guys see barcodes? Yeah. I hear beeps. I hear the beep. Yeah, right. Yeah. When you're doing inventory, if you think if you focus on the sound of five people just beeping things, it is enough to drive you into like HP Lovecraft levels of madness. Right. I was thinking True. of Pose the Bells. You know, like that that poem seems really ridiculous until you hear the same sound over and over and over again, yeah. and it drives you nuts. Also, the first time ever on the podcast, we have Amanda Aquino from The Vault of Midnight. Amanda, you wanted to be on this particular episode of The Super Skull. I did, because this week is insanely awesome, and I'm really, really excited to talk about some comics. Yeah, I made, I've made the, uh, the statement and the argument that since I've started working at Vault, this week may be the most packed new comic book day um, I have witnessed yet. Packed in terms of just raw number of titles or raw number of quality, quality or number ones or books that people are excited about. This week is like the definitive week I've, since I've started working. It's at a Bowl. big week. It's very, very big. Yeah. Also, uh, another store member and I were recently informed by Curtis that at C2E2, Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, there is a realtor competition. And we are going to train vigorously over the next couple months to be the Midwest quickest pull distribution team. We'll start the montage training yeah. music. Chris and I are going to become the best team to put the comics you want in your box the quickest. What's the name of this thing? Uh, the Retailer Olympics, not the Realtor. Sorry. That's all right. The, the, we are going to sell property in bad comics quicker. The Retail Olympics. Retail. Yeah, we're going to kill it. Yeah, uh, we sized up the competition last year, and I feel that we will destroy them. I want to know. Uh, no disrespect to all the wonderful comic shops that participated. Also, we should point out that at the beginning of this podcast, you heard our new theme music from our sound guru, A-Bomb. The working title of our new theme song is titled ARP 2. Maybe that is the title? Oh, I maybe. I don't know. Well, don't either know. way. We're going to have to have him clarify that for us. All right, well, we are going to dive right into this week's comics. We have each picked two comics that we think you are going to love this week. And let me tell you what, it was hard to narrow down what we wanted to read. But I'm going to kick it off with my first pick, Captain America and the Mighty Avengers number one. This is one of the first comics where we see New Cap doing his New Cap thing. Um, And this comic really stood out to me because it is so current with all of the drone strike media craziness that's been going on. This book knows exactly what it's doing, and it's tying into that. So, Falcon is now Captain America, Mm -hmm. and he has the ability not only to fly, so he himself is like a drone, but he can see through the eyes of all the birds that are nearby. So he literally has an army of drones doing surveillance for him. An army of bird drones? Yes. So he knows what's going on at all times. He even has like a little cheesy lines like, you can't hide from the eyes of a pigeon, which sounds terrible, right? It, does. it sounds really bad. But it's terrifying at the same time. He's one of the few superheroes that has this like ability to know what's going on seemingly everywhere. Every time I uh, see a pigeon now, downtown Ann Arbor, I'm going to think, hmm. I was already terrified. Is that like a drone? I- yeah. I saw some pigeons while I was driving to work, and now I'm, like, really paranoid. That's right. They saw you. you. They saw you. Yeah, (laughs) Falcon's coming. It's like, like, uh, 
like Captain America Winter Soldier all over again. I'm going to be super paranoid about everything. So this book is written by Al Ewing, and uh, the artist is Luke Ross. And right from the get-go, we know that this new Captain America doesn't hold the same ideals as uh, our homeboy Steve Rogers. He is way more willing to send people to the hospital, kill them. This is not out of his repertoire. He is a soldier, and death is part of the game. Right? So that takes a little bit of time getting used to. But... Man, we're just seeing a lot of the fallout of Axis. And Can I, I ask a question? Yeah. Why did why was he selected? Well, that's a great question that we're trying to all figure out because we know that there was another option. Mm-hmm. Steve Rogers was in this other dimension for a while where he raised a young man um, and trained him to kind of be a superhero. That young man is now in our Marvel Universe. And there's a scene in Captain America, all new Captain America number one that also comes out this week, where him and Falcon are going back and forth, like, why did one deserve to be Cap over the other? Mm. So Steve Rogers has made the selection, but we're, we're trying to figure out, like, was that maybe the best choice? So uh, Ian is the name of the child from Dimension Thank Z. You. yeah. And uh, much like Ian Rolette. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he was raised kind of like Cap's son. Yeah. For a very long time. You know, time worked differently in Dimension Z. This was Rick Remender doing extra dimensional Just stuff. Just getting goofy. Like he does. Yeah. And he raised a whole child in the time that he was They were there, there for like, I mean, it's like 12 years or something yeah. in Dimension Z time. And then he comes back to Earth and it's like, you know, two weeks later. Sure. So, yeah. That's when he had a, when he had a beard, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's looking real haggard. But, so there is a scene in, that really drew my attention in this Captain America uh, and the Mighty Avengers that really set the tone for what I think we can expect from this new Cap. Is like, there's a bad guy, and he's not to be taken terribly seriously. He's kind of a goofball bad guy Ooh. who takes over this meeting, and new Cap comes in and just, like, breaks everyone. And it's a situation where you can totally see Steve Rogers coming in and, like, either talking the situation down or just... Taking care of it real quick and not really... Like, people die. And that's not Captain America. Mm. So I'm really torn as a Cap fan. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's happening because of the what's been going on in Axis. Maybe not everyone is their normal selves. We know that from reading Axis and Carnage and Hobgoblin and Axis. We know that all these superheroes and villains are maybe not in their right state of mind. But it is so hard to read this book as, a, as like a Steve Rogers Captain America fan. At the same time, that's what makes it a lot of fun. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, really Love it. it. Cool. All right, Amanda, your first choice for this week is Teen Dog number three. And you told me that this has a real Sandlot moment. And I am a sucker for a real Sandlot moment. It does. The whole book is very Sandlot-y, uh, but also very funny and super silly. Uh, teen Dog is a anthropomorphic dog who's a teenager who is super good at skateboarding and loves eating pizza. Like all teenagers. Exactly. When I was a teenager, I loved eating pizza, but I never put a foot on a skateboard, convinced I was going to break an arm. Uh, And his really awesome friends, uh, Mariella, who who has super cool hair and is like always bringing Teen Dog back down to earth because he's a little silly at times. Uh, Sarah, who's like this awesome football player, and uh, Thug Pug. Who is this adorable pug who's just like, I'm so crabby and I don't like you guys, but I'm just going to be ironic and pretend to kind of a thing. He really has a heart of gold is what you're saying. He really has a heart of gold and they love Teen Dog. Uh, But in this issue, it's really great. Uh, Teen Dog takes over the uh, school mascot during a football game and has to wear a cat costume, which he is clearly uncomfortable about. That's not cool. Not cool at all. And uh, the whole comic is actually put together. It's almost like a bunch of mini comics. It's very web comic like. So each page has like a little title to itself. Uh, and in this comic, they like f- uh, play basketball against some dunk robots. And then uh, Teen Dog uh, reaches true enlightenment in like a moment. Cool. All this is in one With skateboards issue. all around him. And then, and probably my favorite part of the comic book, he, uh, his nemesis comes in, Maya, who Teen Dog as a puppy beat while playing chess, and she got really upset over it, mm. and has been itching for a rematch 
and that leads to some really good friend moments. So in this one issue, we have that we have the mascot thing. We have a chess off. We have true enlightenment. True enlightenment. Some skateboarding. And these are all like separate stories nicknames. within the book, or is it yeah. all one narrative? So it's all one narrative, but it's also separate stories. Okay. So it's so basically like each of those things that you just said were all like little mini stories. So they all have like a couple of pages, but each page is like teamwork, you know, and it's like teen dog who's like, hey, Sarah, score a touchdown. And she does. And he's like, I told her to do that because he's super cool. So this book is in our all ages section. What, who's going to like this book? What are other things that people are reading that kind of fit the mold of this Um, book? So uh, Boombox is the publisher of this, which is uh, Boom's creator-owned imprint. All ages imprint. Is it, is it, it's an all ages imprint, and also, it's also right? yeah. Yep. So it's both. Uh, so some other books that are on this imprint, which I think uh, people who are reading those will really like. This is like Lumberjanes, being Puppycat, both super great. Anybody who likes Adventure Time will love this. The Midas Flesh was also a Boombox. It was, yeah, book, wasn't it? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, you know, it's got that Adventure Time feel. It's it's very cartoony, very all ages. But it's like really smart, and it has these really wonderful life lessons that Teen Dog and his friends are learning in this very quiet manner, which is really cool. Cool. We should also say that Teen Dog is like, he's awesome. He is. He's like rocking sunglasses all the time. All the time. Yeah. He's this skateboarding. Sweet denim jacket or vest, I mean. With like a the giant cup. slice of pizza oh. on the back. Great jacket. His sunglasses don't actually go around his ears, though. I'm not sure how that's, no, they that's don't. working. Hmm. Dog glue. It cool. doesn't need to make sense because it's teen dog. No, you're right. It He's rules. He's so cool. He's reached true enlightenment. Apparently. <laughs> awesome. All right, Nick, your number one book for this week is Copperhead number three. You keep saying that this book is a sci-fi western, which makes me instantly think of my favorite TV show of all time, Firefly. Is it that good? Please say yes. It's really, really good. I got a soft spot for Firefly. So is it, you know, we're just getting going with Copperhead. So where's it going? The vibe is really different in Copperhead also. Than, it's a much, taken much more seriously. They're playing it really straight. But the idea is that it's a brand new sheriff. Um, she just got to town. Clara Bronson. She just arrived in the mining town of Copperhead, um, which is on a whole new planet. And she's just taken her son there. And as soon as she gets there, there's a murder that has to be solved. She's very, everybody's very suspicious of her. She has a deputy whose nickname is Boo. He's like a giant dog, cat, monster, like hulking giant dude. And they don't get along at all. It's just like straight Western sheriff sci-fi stuff. Actually, the sci-fi elements are played really... Are you guys... Is anybody reading this? I've read number one. I've read yeah. one and two, yeah. The, it's, the sci-fi stuff is turned down a lot, which, yeah. is, which is kind of interesting. They just kind of throw it in there for flavor. Um, but it's working really, really well. It's it's super well-written. You get the sense... She's a mom, and that's, like, priority number one, you know? Because she's got her kid there. She's, like, trying to navigate this new job. She's stressed out. Somebody just got murdered. Plus, her son's running around and also being a kid. Um, but just also in this issue, we're starting to get a sense of, like, there is a community here with, like, long-standing feuds and weird stuff going on. And we're starting to get a sense of how fleshed out this town of Copperhead is. Small-town stuff. Small-town stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. But that's against the backdrop of, you know, big sci-fi western. So. Right. What I, what I liked at least about the first two issues is, like, we have all these different species mm-hmm. of, of characters... But it's, they don't do it. It's not like, oh, look at this new species. They're just there, and they don't really need a ton of explanation. It's just given to you, and you, you have to accept it. And they're, everybody's totally into the fact that, you know, or it seems very natural that there's going to be all sorts of types of creatures kind of running around when you meet somebody. When, you know, they, when they see her and she's a human, they don't, like, remark on that. It's right. Like they're used to, like, having all these different species around. Right. Yeah, it's really, really neat. Cool. I hope the future's really like that. That would be cool. Yeah, with aliens. But, you know. And it's no big deal. You're just hanging out with, you know, the other squid guy over there. But it's like, hey, what's up? I hope the future's really Western. Yeah. If we could just revert back to that. To that. That would be terrible. So the other thing I wanted to talk about in this book is that the way they write it is crazy, you guys. Yeah, you were telling me about this, and I find this totally fascinating. This is really weird. So the 
there's a bunch of different ways to write comics, right? As we kind of know. I mean, we don't know. But you would imagine. We've read yeah. about it. Yeah. So what? The, and the way that is, as is my understanding, the way that most people kind of write comics now is it's panel by panel. The writer sits down and he describes what happens. He or she describes what happens in every single panel, and that includes dialogue and action. And the amount of kind of interplay between the writer and the artist varies depending on their relationship. Sure. So it's more descriptive or less descriptive or whatever. But, you know, if you ever read, con- like, read an Alan Moore comic book script, it's completely insane. <laughs> it's like every single panel is a giant paragraph. Yeah, for an Alan Moore book, you know, if it's a 30-page comic, it's going to be a 90-page script. Absolutely. It's yeah. completely insane. Yep. It's like reading a totally different thing. If you haven't done it, like, I highly recommend it, especially yep. Alan Moore. It's just insane. Um, but in... The heyday of Marvel with like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and these dudes, the way that they had, they developed what was called the Marvel Method. And the Marvel Method is the writer kind of lays out his overall plot, right? He says, this is going to happen in this issue. And the way um, that the writer here, Jay Farber, describes it in the last issue of Copperhead just totally blew my mind is that they're using the Marvel Method, which is Hmm. he says how many pages he wants to happen for each scene. So he said, this is the scene, this is what's going to happen, this is how many pages I want it to last. And then he just turns it over to the artist, which is uh, Scott Godlewski in this book. And he draws the whole book, right? And then Jay Farber goes back and, did I say Jay Farber? Jay Farber goes back and writes dialogue over the art that's already there. It's such a level of trust. It's a huge level of trust because it seems so seamless. Right. As you're reading it, you wouldn't know that this was written any differently than any comic. But it also gives you a sense of like, this artist gets it, is just like, he's so plugged into this medium that he can tell a narrative without anything else at all. Yeah. And then literally, Farber's just going back in and like saying, in this one, this is what he says. In this panel, these two people say these things. And it just basically, like, it's just this interplay between artist and writer that's like, it's so unique to comics. That's pretty incredible. It's yeah. really incredible, and you would never know it. That's yeah. awesome. Well, the old Marvel way, too, they, you know, that was kind of out of necessity because it's like three guys doing, you know, 25 yeah. comic books a week, you know, so they're just Did they used cranking to call it, it out. Pit? The, mm, I can't remember. I feel the like bullpen. The is, bullpen, oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 where they would all just sit together and, and kind of play off each other and mm-hmm. just... Man, that's so interesting. Yep. It sounds that's, like such an inspirational like group of people. I can't imagine having one person who I could like just be like, yeah, this is the story, and this is what we're doing. Just let's do this. You just have to have so much. You, you'd have to know that this other person gets this idea that you had so thoroughly in order to just totally hand it off to them. Yep. I feel like you there'd know? have to be a lot of communication. There'd have to be so much, and you'd have to like. I feel like you'd have to go back and forth, and like this is working Constantly. and that's not working, but. It's, it, it just blew my mind, so I wanted to talk about the Marvel method. Is anybody else doing this? Or any, I, 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 I don't know if anyone else doing it. I thought this I was like an anachronism. Like you, nobody did this anymore. Yeah. I don't even think Marvel does that anymore. They right? definitely don't. Like, that's, no. Hearing about all the way Marvel runs its house now, yeah. totally different than the old Marvel method. Because I always got the sense that it was like Stan Lee did that because he was kind of a hack and kind of a, kind of a dick. And it was like, okay, here's kind of what happens, and then you do all the work, and then I'm going to put balloons on it and take all the credit for creating everything. That's like really simplifying sure. it. But. Sure, sure. Yeah, and what, and what really it was is, I mean, you know, Stan Lee gets hired at Timely Comics when he's 17, and it's him and, and two other people. It's, yeah. You know, so they, they just had, it was totally work. Totally. They were producing product at an epic rate so uh it was born out of necessity but over time jack kirby doesn't get credit for how much of the stuff that he's doing because then stan lee goes because of the marvel method it's like well i wrote that i told him what to do even though you know it was just like you said just out of necessity yep Hmm. so anyway i think it was really fascinating that's copperhead number three which is uh from image comics awesome all right, Curtis, your first pick this week is Drifter number one. It's an image number one. And you were saying that what fascinates you about this book is the point of view that you as the reader experience. Yeah, so uh, this book opens up. Uh, it's Drifter number one, another, another image number one. It just opens up with a spaceship crashing. So the first page of this book is just a fiery comet of a spaceship, you know, hitting the Atmo of Planet Unknown. And uh, you kind of go through this sequence of this ship going down and the lone astronaut dealing with the the crash and and coming up on a beach and encountering creatures in a strange world. 
And um, I love the way it just drops you in um, to this this wild world. The art is outrageously good by this guy, Nick Klein, who we've seen all over the place. I forgot. I didn't really know the guy's name, and I started looking him up. And he's just done covers for Thor, Conan, Captain America. He's done so many books. Is he mostly a cover guy, or he's, does he do interiors? He's a cover guy. He's done a few fill-in issues. He did a couple Conan fill-in issues. Okay. Uh, he did a Captain America issue or two. This guy is an outrageously good artist. Um, so, And it follows the story of this guy, Abram Pollux, who's the lead character who's thrown into this. Again, sort of a Wild West sci-fi mix. You're such a biter. I am. I followed up your sci-fi book with another sci-fi <laughs> western book. But, I mean, look at this art, you guys. Am I right? Why is this working so well? Why is this art so good? It's kind of soft in some ways. The faces are really, really good. It's the, colored really nice. To me, the landscapes look really painted. Right? It does, yeah. yeah. And that, that gives it a real nice sense of epicness in, in large scale. Also, the palette going from kind of inside to outside. Yeah. He's just really aware of color. Who's doing the color on this? That's book? a really good question. Let's find out. Well, let me flip to it. But let's keep sorry, talking I put you on. The, I put you on the spot. That's Is right. Is it kind of profity? Because when you said mm. at the beginning, when you said it's a dude in a ship and he crashes and then he's got to go. Right. So does it have any of that vibe going on? No, it's it's not as strange as profit. You know, profit's like Mobius strange. It's, yeah. it's Jodorowsky's strange. It's it's so weird. This is a little more straightforward. You know, you kind of recognize stuff even though you're on an alien world and there's these you know, creatures that you haven't seen before. He's got a gun. You know, he wears it on his hip, a little bit Han Solo style. Nice. Um, and, it, and it goes from bad to worse. This guy gets out of this crash, and then more bad stuff happens. Wakes up in a hospital a couple days later, um, and it's, he's pursuing somebody. There's a great hook at the end of this book. I am i can't wait for the next issue. Um, the coloring is... Uh, Nick Klein is do, does the color, too. Whoa, wow. Oh does nice. the whole thing. Cool. Nice wow. work, Nick Klein. Man. Yeah, I just... When you were flipping through it, like, it, it does have a very nice sense of scale. As in, like, when we see the ship crashing into the planet, you can tell it's, like, a very big, well-done page. But, like, when he's... You see the landscape also. It has, like, a really nice, well-defined sense of depth, which a lot of comic book artists don't seem to be able to handle that depth feel that maybe like a landscape painter might but you to- I totally get that looking at these landscapes it seems so deep you're totally right because it feels like a big planet it feels like you're dropped into the middle of you know, yeah just that sense of kind of big place yeah you're totally right Love yeah it. and we've talked about it before you know a comic book that can drop you in without explaining and take you along on whatever journey without beating you up with info Right, and, but as you were saying, like as you're reading this book, you don't know anything that this guy doesn't know. You're totally along the ride with him. You're yep. not giving any kind of like meta information. It's no, it just doesn't like, explain where he's coming from, why he's crashing, where he's going. He's, you know, this is in a world or in a universe where people fly spaceships, and this one's crashing. Yeah, you're just sitting on his shoulder uh, for this comic, which is is awesome. I love that in a book, That's and it's hard to do. That's one of my favorite things when comic book artists or comic book creators just drop you into the story and they're not like, here's a bunch of back information it's for just, a couple pages. Yeah, exposition. That can be tiring. Yeah. And it's tough because that can either be a tool because the writer doesn't know what he's doing, or in the hands of a good writer, it's exactly the comic that I want to read. Right. Of course. So mm-hmm. if, if it's such a fine line to walk. Like, is it vague and I don't know what's going on and now I don't want to keep reading because I don't know what's going on? Or is it because I get the sense that there's more to it than I'm being told? And that's the ideal. Yeah, and in the pace that information is revealed to, if you're getting it at a, at a clip that's digestible, yeah, then you keep going. If it's too much, too fast, you know, I don't want it all, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that pacing, that reveal when it when it counts. Yeah. Awesome. Because then you take a book like Tooth and Claw that gives you a ton of information. We talked about this book last week. Yeah. Yep. And it's packed with characters and backstory and exposition. And that works also if it's... You know, if the writing is good and the language makes sense and yeah. you're captivated by the world. So it's not like an exclusive thing of, you know, be vague on purpose, but it's, it is in the other direction. So the book for me that, that doesn't balance it as well as either Tooth, or, Tooth and Claw and maybe this one is, I think the, one of the reasons I have a really hard time with Supreme Blue Rose mm. is because I feel like it tries to flirt with both lines and it just seems messy. I think whereas, that's totally fair. Whereas these two books, it, 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 I haven't read... Uh, Drifter yet, but I know with Tooth and Claw, and it seems like Drifter, like they they just own the one side of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, just something that came to mind. 
Yeah. And I love Supreme Blue Rose. I think that book's really good. And I because I've read enough Warren Ellis that maybe I know the the beats sure. a little bit. Not that you don't know Warren Ellis. I'm not claiming ownership to him. You can. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But uh, I, I am, I'm willing to go along on the ride with him, but I totally get that, that somebody might not be willing to. Yeah. So. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, my second book for this week is Superior Iron Man number one. Um, again, this, this book kind of falls into what's going on with Axis. We have Tony Stark, who just gets done with this giant battle against Red Skull. Part of the fallout, like I said with uh, Captain America and the Mighty Avengers, is that some of these superheroes that we know and love are acting a little goofy. Something's happened to their brains with all this psychic warfare that was taking place during this giant, full-on battle that took literally every superhero and villain we needed or we know of to defeat this one bad guy. So Tony Stark's acting a little weird uh, from from the fallout. He's uh, he's created this program. That he's unleashed on San Francisco. And what this program does, it's like an app through your phone. And when you accept the app, it changes you into the most perfect, and I'm putting quotations around that, form of yourself. The most beautiful your physical body can morph into with the, the restraints you have. You're still as tall as you were. You know, it's not changing your skeletal structure, but you're just more beautiful. So this is like how you feel all the time. You're... Beautiful. <laughs> um, so, and he says, like, I've created this utopia. San Francisco is the best that it's ever been. Has the entire Marvel Universe moved to California? No. Okay. It feels like It that. feels like a lot of okay. the Marvel Universe. So the book starts out with him and, and She-Hulk um, are, are fighting this new bad guy in San Francisco. And then it goes to this, this um, pool party. And Tony's sitting there, and this is what really hooked me in with this book. Tony Stark drinking a cocktail. We don't see Tony Stark drink that often anymore because he has a long, dark history with booze, and he's a recovering alcoholic. Mm. Well, Tony Stark, after Axis, doesn't care. He's drinking, and he's drinking a lot. And uh, Pepper Potts has some things to say about this new app that he's given, he's gifted the city. And uh, maybe this book is talking about... Our own, you know, personal views on beauty. Um, we recently reviewed the book um, Misfits. Misfits. Not Misfits. Um, big book. Image number one. It's right there. Oh. It's sitting right there. Masterplasty. Masterplasty. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, which deals with kind of a similar topic. Yeah. Um, this idea of like what is beauty worth in today's world when you can change your body to look like essentially whatever you want. Well, Tony Stark's made that accessible to everyone and at the end he takes it away. And what kind of chaos is that going to cause? What a jerk. Um, yeah. He is a jerk. He's a total jerk. But and I, part of the reason I like this is maybe I like my Tony Stark to be a little bit of a jerk. Maybe it seems more natural for Tony to not always be the shining star good guy that he's been for the last little bit. So on that note, yeah, I, can I tell you why I thought this was a dog shit issue? <laughs> yeah, you and can. why I didn't like it at yes. all. So it's very, I thought it was, so that opportunity to do Tony Stark as a dick is, like, that's awesome. If it's done right, Mm -hmm. right? Because kind of by default, Tony Stark is an arrogant jerk. That's his thing. And in the comics, it plays off as he's very funny, but he's he's a know-it-all. Well, and Tony, you know, the thing that you, you let him be an arrogant jerk because maybe he is a philanthropist and maybe he is incredibly intelligent, one of the smartest guys Absolutely. ever. Absolutely. So, you know, you forgive him for being sort of an arrogant, uh, self-absorbed a-hole because of these other attributes. Totally. Yeah. So, but you get the sense that just below the surface, you know, take some of that stuff away and there's a dick. Right, and that's Tony Stark. No, I don't know if it's like there's a lot of pain. Tony has a lot of pain. Exactly. So instead of, I felt like they were very flip about it. So he okay. is off the wagon. He's on the wagon. No, he's off the wagon. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, off. He's drinking. Off, he's off. He's the off the wagon. wagon. He's drinking again. This is a really cool opportunity, you know, to to do something that you don't see a lot in Marvel comics. What's like, a wagon? It's the water wagon. Okay, that's what it was. You were on the water wagon, but then you got you can only drink water. Mm-hmm. When you fell off the wagon, then you you know exactly yeah. got it. So that's a little side note for you. <laughs> so this is being really kind of flip and stupid about a relapse in alcoholism. 
And I'm not trying to be like no, overly dramatic or anything or overly serious about it. Such a drama king. I'm a little bit of a drama king queen. But I think that that could have been a really interesting moment. Instead, all we see is like, oh, he's drinking again, and he's in a pool full of naked ladies, and he's a he's 20% more of a dick. And see, that's what I it totally, means to stop I totally drinking. Disagree that means to start that. drinking again. Because Pepper Potts has like a really great little section. Because mm-hmm. she makes a comment. You know, she's like, hey, I see that you're drinking again. And she's the one who has kind of the authority. She, I mean, I don't want to say that she was his sponsor to like put a title. But she's been with Tony through all the drinking. Mm-hmm. She's been his crutch for so many things. And she calls him out. And he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm drinking a lot. I have a lot of time to catch up on. But at the end, after all this stuff is happening and Pepper's really starting to notice that Tony's like a really different person. Don't give it away. No, no, no. She has this line where she says like, Tony has, yeah, he's always been worried about like someone else being able to take control of the machine. Right? That's always been a fear. But like his real fear wasn't that someone else would take the machine. It's that like he himself cannot deal with the responsibility of being Iron Man. And because he has built the machine and he understands it and it's part of him, it's like it's his danger that is the scary part of Iron Man. Someone else can wear the suit and they can be do bad things, but in the end, Tony's always there to stop him because he understands it better than anyone. But with Tony going bad, that's his fear. Mm. And now that's happened. And like to me, that's such a cool premise and that opens so many doors. I totally agree with you that the premise is is so cool that this execution just doesn't do it justice at all. Because oh, see, I didn't, he's I going didn't into this that. very, very dark place and he's drinking and he's like, it's the biggest fear of Tony Stark is like that this would happen, that he couldn't be trusted with it himself, right? And the only manifestation we see of that is that he can't remember ladies' names and he's rude to Pepper Potts. That's all we get. Uh, can I say that Pepper Potts is my shit? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, <clears throat> Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts in the <clears throat> Iron Man movie films is one of my favorite supporting characters yeah. in the entire Marvel Universe. I completely see And you. can we get more Pepper Potts across the board? Amanda. I... <laughs> I thought I, I, I didn't have my. Uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but I mean, I don't think we can get enough Pepper Potts personally. I think she's maybe my second favorite uh, supporting character, though, in the Marvel universe. Okay, number one is Phil Coulson. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough. I have like a crush on Phil Coulson. He's really cool. <laughs> I have that same crush. I just, for me, this like for a first issue, it I'm like so ready for this door to be flung wide open. So I doing what you want. It's 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 setting me up for the story that I know is to come. And maybe maybe Nick's right. Maybe they don't execute it to the level that they should. But for a number one issue, like with alcoholics, the first stage isn't like of relapse, isn't the super dark stage, right? It's them like, oh, thinking I can handle this. I can party. I can do this. Right. That's what happens first. And that's what I think we're seeing. Maybe four or five issues down the road when the realization kicks in or when we find out what is going on with all these superheroes and it starts to change, that's when I that's when I want to see the Tony Stark who sure. realizes his sins. Sure. Because right now Tony has no idea. And to me this seems very plausible for someone who's like jumping back on the booze train. Right. But that's also, it, it's plausible, but it's kind of rope. It's kind of like what you would expect to have happen. It just seems so by the yeah. So we'll, hopefully there'll be a hook, right? So you're back for issue number two. I'm totally yeah. back for issue number two. Awesome. All this stuff that's happened with the Access is... I, I, I shit on Marvel crossovers all the time. I have in the past. Yeah. But, like, what is happening with Access and what's happening with the typical villains and superheroes is so intriguing to me. I love that idea of people's either good intentions that they suppress to be evil. Because I, I don't like black the black and white. This person is good, this person is evil. That doesn't happen. But now we're Except seeing Except like, for Captain America. Because he's always good and he's the goodest of all the yeah. good and he can never right. be bad no matter but what. We're now seeing like the little seeds of good and the little seeds of evil start to blossom. You sounded and, kind of desperate when you said that about <laughs> Captain America. I love him so much. He's the perfect shining beacon of what we all should try to be. Either what way. about what about this new Captain America though? He is not all good and shining and it hurts. Yeah, but that's it's cool. what it sounds like. Um but yeah, Superior Iron Man number one, I would say check it out. Uh I think it's leading to some really cool stuff. And um Either way, you'll have something to talk to Nick and I about in the store. Yes, you will. Yeah. All right. So, Amanda, your number two book is Batgirl number 36. And you have said that this book is incredibly culturally relevant. I totally agree. Break it down for me, please. 
So Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, uh, is now living in the Brooklyn of Gotham. So it's super trendy, tons of hipsters. But it's a bunch of, you know, 20-something-year-olds who are online. They have, like, this hook app, and they're hooking up. Uh, Everybody is using computer stuff. Uh, So totally unlike real life. Totally unlike real life. And in the last issue, Barbara got her laptop stolen, and everything was wiped off of it. All of her personal information was stolen. And she's freaking out, and somebody is posing as Batgirl. And we don't know what's going on. And so in this issue, you come in and she's shopping. She's super nervous, though. She's, like, freaked out. Her friends are like, oh, these clothes are awesome. Which they are really awesome. (laughs) And she's freaking out. And she's not only freaking out about the fact that, like, all of her own information is gone and somebody's pretending to be Batgirl, but she also lost her research for her college course. Uh, and she's doing this huge project, and it all depends on this algorithm that is lost. And she's super freaked out. She has to find it again. Um, so she's attempt- she is walking around campus, and these motorcycle uh, assassin girls show up. And they're awesome looking. They look so awesome. They're- so this issue just came out today, or tomorrow, today. And there were already cosplays of these two characters at uh, New York Comic Con. That's awesome. And they, like, rocked it. They looked so good. But they're called the Jawbreakers, and Barbara realizes that they are from a cartoon show, an anime that she used to watch as a child. That's so cool. And they were, like, the bad girls, and they freaked her out a lot when she was watching this show. And, like, later in the comic, there's this really, really great father-daughter moment where she's watching the show and she's super freaked out. And Jim Gordon comes in. He's like, don't worry. Like, look, watch. Just just do what I taught you and analyze and see that she's going to figure out what's going on. And she'll be fine. The superhero. So Barbara does that. And she figures it out. But there's a twist because we don't know what these jawbreakers are doing and where they are, why they are coming after Batgirl. Mm. So that's really interesting. You made a comment about this book when we were talking about it that you said, like, we were talking about how this book really embodies that culture of like 20 somethings in a way that a lot of other books don't. But you had particularly pointed out, like, how much attention this book plays to that 20-something, like, fashion sense. Yes. What is it about this book that, like, captures that for you? So, uh, Babs Tarr, who does the art, who has never drawn a comic before, but does these amazing fan art, and just her own art, too. But she's done these really awesome fan art of, like, uh, Sailor Moon, the Sailor Scouts, in these cool biker outfits. She's super into fashion, and she brings that into the comic book. And she talked about in an interview, because I've read a lot of interviews with Babstar, who's my new favorite, and she got really, really tired of seeing women in, like, the same old generic, like, suit, skirt, and heels thing that women are constantly being put in in comics. And she decided to change it up. And she even, she actually put out like, little diagrams of the outfits that Barbara is wearing in this comic and put those on Tumblr with, like, here's the items that you can get to look like Barbara Gordon. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to wear this so much. And that's super, super fun. And I love it. I just, one of the things I really like about the new Batgirl uniform is, like, it looks totally plausible, right? It's, like, pants, jacket, combat boots, mask. Yep. All things that you could totally buy and like sew on and go ahead. Don't forget that snap-on cape. And the snap-on which right? And so the snap-on cape makes so much sense, right? Because if someone grabs your cape, which is likely to happen, you don't want them to be able to like pull you to the ground. Well, yeah. and, and the yeah. thing is, too, everybody should have a cape because they rule. For sure. But we all know that if you know you're going through a revolving door, you're on an escalator, could be a problem. Right. You flying. want that? Yeah, flying around. You need that quick release. So it's the best of both worlds: yeah. safety, fashion. Curtis, you made yeah. a prediction recently that about isn't everybody going to be wearing a, a cape? I, I said uh, within ten years, superhero fashion would hit mainstream culture around the world. It's going to be rocking capes, and I'm I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it's probably going to happen sooner than ten years. 
I'm I'm about to put some snaps on my jacket and See? start wearing a cape. See, so. yeah. I mean, we've all seen The Incredibles, right? You know, no capes. Yeah. I think she's wrong. But I think she's we, wrong because here you can see. You can be safe with capes. I, I just, safe with as capes. As long as safe with capes. you think about it. I just, uh, I really like the way that the world is portrayed in this book. Everything is like very logical. It's not a far jump. Barbara Gordon doesn't really have superpowers. I mean, yeah. she does a little bit, but she, you know, she doesn't, she's not, she's not Superman. Um, she's just a totally believable character. Yeah. We've already seen her actually like stop a thief just as Barbara, right. which was really great. Yeah. So. so it seems like this is kind of writing... So Marvel's been doing this for a while, which is what, do, what are these characters doing when they're not saving the world or fighting crime? Mm-hmm. And DC is starting to get into this in really interesting ways. Gotham Academy and now... And Batgirl seems to be like really... Because she's working on school projects. She's going to work. She has a social life. That it seems to be kind of hitting. Is, is it hitting that note? Oh, it's totally hitting that note. Like with Hawkeye or with She-Hulk, uh, where you get to see the other side of a superhero's life. That's totally what this is about. And it's really great. They do it really well. Uh, one of the things that I've read about, um, I listened to an interview with Cameron's, or not Cameron's, Brendan Fletcher, who co-writes Batgirl and Gotham Academy, mm-hmm. is that DC... Let them have the reins on this comic. They're like, you guys, you do these comics, you do what you need to do instead of like being over their heads. That's which a wonderful. It's really cool. Yeah. And we've seen the side effect of that. It's like Batgirl two issues ago was maybe had what, 10 people on the poll? Oh, well, you know, it was, you know, whatever, 30, 40 people on the poll, but it's gone to, you know, we're encroaching on 100 and we're selling double that off yeah. the rack. I mean, this book is just flying off the shelves. Yep. And it just shows what they've done really well. Absolutely. All right, Nick, your second book, speaking of She-Hulk, is She-Hulk number 10. I choose She-Hulk. You do. Yeah. And she's been in a couple of our things today. You've picked this series a couple times now on the podcast. I have. I'm trying to savor every page. It's wrapping up pretty soon. Number 12, issue 12 is going to be the last issue of this run. That's right. What is it about She-Hulk that makes you come back to it time and time again? Well, it's it's easier than having to like think and be creative and original and pick something else. So first of all, there's that. Um, but I don't. Why, why does this book work so well? It's the law thing, which is in full effect on this issue. You I look love like it. You want to say something? No, I just the law thing is my jam. That's that's immediately the first hook. There's no other book that does it. Yeah. So and does it really well? Like in this comic. There's a double page, there's a spread, a big splash page of closing arguments. Oh, that's so awesome. So it's just all one page of the prosecutor, all one page of She-Hulk as the defense. This is Daredevil as the prosecutor in this, Matt Murdock. And all it is is word bubbles giving the closing arguments. It's so cool. (laughs) I love it It so much. And so this, especially this whole Captain America run has been super law-y. Uh, in a really, really neat way. When you say Captain America run, you mean she's representing Captain America. She's representing Captain mm-hmm. America. So what's going on? Steve Rogers. No, right. Steve Rogers. Right. Captain Excuse America's me. Movie. No disrespect to new Captain America. Yeah. He's earned it. So the idea here is that um, Steve Rogers is uh, on trial for negligent homicide. So many, many, many years ago, like in, in you know, 1940 or whatever, he was involved in the death of a of a of a friend of his and he's on trial for it now because the guy on his deathbed said it's Captain America's fault and then he croaked and now he's being prosecuted in San Francisco for that I'm so and he's being persecuted by Matt Murdock Daredevil who's in San Francisco also She-Hulk comes out there to defend him that's what I'm saying. The whole Marvel U. They're and everybody's in California, California right now. Well, I think it's it, ridiculous. It has a lot. To, I think we're going to see a real big event take place in. Well, it's got a California. Real quick. Where Where is She Hulk She Hulk residing when she's not in San Francisco? She's in New York. New York. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's right. her but law she, practice is based out of there. She had been in San Francisco and then she moved to New York. Was she ever in? Did she ever live in San Francisco? Hmm. In this one, it's all in. It's. I thought it was all in like New York. Like the first issue, I. Felt like maybe she moved, but it was she did know, move ten months ago because so. she was getting it because she quit her law practice. But was that one in San Francisco? Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. No, it wouldn't have been because she doesn't have a license to practice. Nope, in San that's Francisco, right. So. Uh, good, She's been good in New call. York. Yeah, <laughs> man, and the 
freaking flyer miles these dudes must be racking up. They're just flying. Well, mm-hmm. Does she all just bound, fly. though, hog style? From these frequent bounding miles <laughs> that she both must be rack, racking I, up. Didn't they show her on a plane? She has her own she plane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they did. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. bound. No. Yeah. Now, when we were talking about cool. this book, you said that the art is in perfect form. Talk to me about this. That. Is really why I wanted to pick this book because I know I pick this book a lot and I talk about this book a like lot. every podcast, like every podcast. It's really, really good. But Javier Polito, I think, just turned it up another notch. And I've always loved this dude art. I've never, I don't. There's nobody else that's drawing like this. I feel like it's there's a lot going on, but it's very kind of cartoon esque, you know, in that it's really simple like basic shapes and that kind of thing. Um, but he's doing things with panels that I've never seen him do before. It's like this great yeah. double-page spread with like railroad tracks going through it. And like, look how much detail there's going on in the in the, the Brooklyn Bridge here. And there's just so much cool stuff happening. that, And it's all black and white. Like the tones are really muted. And usually it's very, very bright. So I just said, this dude has another dimension to him that I had never seen before. And even after 10 issues of this comic and loving it, I found a new dimension of loving this comic. So, anyway, that's um, Javier Polito. Charles Sewell's still writing it. He's still killing it. I love so this. sad we only have two more issues. It's yeah. very sad. I love this book because it looks unique. You know, we yeah. talk about it kind of in the same breath as Hawkeye, yeah. but that's because they're both unique. They yeah. look different than one another, and they have their own style and own, own voice, Yeah, which is really cool. And there's just so few... just. The balls to do a legal drama comic. Like, it's just, there's no, the world is not at risk here, but, like, Captain America's reputation is at risk, and that's, like, as bad. Right. right. That's as intense. Yeah. As a, you know, aliens attacking New York again. Right, well, because we've heard from, like, Curtis, like, Steve Rogers is, for many of us, is the ideal. He's better than we ever deserve. Yeah. Right? And if you if you tarnish that just a little bit, it, it pulls the whole puzzle apart. I'm personally invested in seeing Captain America, Steve Rogers, excuse me, acquitted of all charges. Because, Absolutely. Uh, that would hurt me. You would never what? make it on that journey. What would happen <laughs> if, he, if he wasn't acquitted and he was guilty? He'd go to jail. He'd go to jail. For homicide. Right? Well, well, they, what, they talk what would about that it. mean for you guys? Personal. I don't want. It's tough to contemplate. I just. I'd need a moment, or a few. I don't think he was ever at risk of going to jail just to get in. But but it was, was. It was all about his reputation. I think they specifically it's a civil suit. If you it's, will, it's a civil it's a thing. Civil. And he's also like he, you know, because he's on you know for good behavior. You know, he's saved the world way too many times. But it was all about his reputation. Yeah. I was like, because he's about to die. He's old Steve Rogers now. This is the end of his life. This is what he could be remembered for. So anyway, She Hulk. I just. I think this would be so cool to do as like an animated, like if Netflix picked this up and did like an animated She-Hulk run all about the Steve Rogers thing. The trial of Steve Rogers. Oh, that's all. That's what you could call it. She-Hulk. The trial of Steve Rogers. And they could do an animated film and it would be so awesome. In the style of Polito. Oh, yeah. yeah, Just get him to do the whole thing. All right, Marvel. Is this? There you go. Is this the last issue of the trial of Steve Rogers? Yes, it okay. is, and it's it's resolved here one way or the other. So we're gonna get to see that blue folder maybe soon. Oh yeah, the oh blue the blue file? folder, which the whole book has just been coming back to. There's some mysterious blue folder in, with in which She Hulk's fate is entwined, and we don't really know what's going on. She with can't it. remember stuff. She can't and... remember stuff. She's tried to go and look at it. Is there's a lot of gunfire and crazy things involved in it? We don't know what's going on, but it's about to get resolved. We have two issues to resolve it. So awesome. Those last two issues are going to be good. I really hope that they do what they did with Captain Marvel, is where they ended it, and then it took a few months, and then Kelly Sue DeConnick, who was writing it already, picked back up. So it'd be great to see Charles Sewell pick back up in a couple months. I hope if, if they do pick it back up, I really hope that he keeps writing it. But mm-hmm. awesome! All right, Curtis, your last or your book for this week is Batman number thirty-six. Now, when we were doing the poll, mm-hmm. you asked every employee that was working today, "Are you reading Batman right now?" I did. That's true. Many of us said no. And what was your response? I, my response was that if we have a book that's over fifty. On the poll, it should be mandatory reading for every employee. I love this policy. Um, this is a really good policy. It, you know, get people out of their comfort zone. I know people are sick of hearing a Batman and Curtis being Batman, Batman, Batman. Yes, he's been in a million movies and cartoons and video games. And a hundred years later, Batman, Batman, Batman. He is There's the a knight, reason. right? What's that? He's the knight. Weren't his parents killed? His parents were killed. <laughs> well, he's the dark knight. He's returned. You know. <laughs> 
So, yes, I'm bringing up Batman again. Uh, it's number 36. It's Endgame Part 2. It's the new story arc, the second issue of the Endgame story arc. It uh, is coming right after the, the last arc, which was called Zero Year, which was incredibly good. Um, the Riddler was the main villain in the last story arc, mm-hmm. and it was the jam. Even You're like, the Riddler, I don't want to read about the Riddler. You totally should. You'll love it. So, anywho... I won't beat it up uh, any more than I already have, but Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo are still killing this book. It's maybe the definitive monthly run of Batman ever that I've ever read. Really? Month after month. We're three years in to this run, this creative team's run on Batman. Uh, but that's only with like 30 years of comics experience that you're, you're speaking from. I'm only here, speaking, so. yes. I've only been reading comics since like 1979, so a couple whatever. thousand Batman comics later. Yeah, whatever. Um, it's a really good book. This is Batman versus the JLA. I'm going to give you the hook. The Joker's back. <gasps> it's very, very good. Check that's it out. Look at this cover yeah, right here. Yeah, I was going to say the cover. Of a, so the cover is Superman... He's like crouched over and his knuckles are dripping in blood and his eyes are the same color and um he's got a very jokery yeah. smile. Oh, totally. Man. So, yes, the Joker has sicked the JLA on the B-man. Batman has a contingency plan, as we know, we've read this a little bit in past Batman stories. Doom. Batman has built a system to take out everybody including his super buddies. Because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Superman might go crazy. I was just going to say, the only person he doesn't have a contingency plan on is Wonder Woman. He does. He does. Oh. In this one. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yes. I need to read it. It's super good. That alone should sell you on why to read this book. So, yeah. So, don't start at 36. Start at 35. Right. It's Endgame Part 1. You don't need to read any other Batman stuff. It's got knockdown, drag-out stuff. Uh, and it Superman is scary as hell when he's trying to like get you. Yeah, it's scary. You don't yeah. want Superman to be able to no I don't, fly through walls and do whatever he wants. I to don't you. want Superman to be mad at me. It's a bummer. All right. Well, those are our picks for the week. We hope you uh, check some of them out. As always, you know when you pick these books up and you read them, come talk to us about them. We want to hear what you think in the store. It's what really makes our day. Um, but now we are moving on to many of our favorite segment of the podcast. The Hot and Nasty. Now, this is Amanda's... Oh, we're going to shuffle those, don't you worry. This is Amanda's first time on the podcast, and therefore we're going to put her through the gauntlet, which is the Hot and Nasty. That being said, we need to point out that we're starting to fall out of love with the name Hot and Nasty. The honeymoon's over. The honeymoon's over. We want something better. So listeners, throughout the next week, two weeks... What do you want this segment to be called? Let us know. Do you have something clever? Are you funny? Can we put it on a t-shirt? Ideally, it should go on a t-shirt. When are we going to get those t-shirts? Well, we got to get a name <laughs> first. So, and also, we don't want to think of it ourselves, so if everyone else can do the work for us, yeah, that would be ideal. All right, Amanda, you know the rules. You have 30 seconds to sell us as many of these comics as you possibly could. Nick is the judge, and as of late, he's been picky. I've been a little, I've been a little picky. Yep. Little, Isn't he little, always? Little prickly. Okay. All right, so I'm on. S- I'm so nervous. Don't be. You're going to do great. You did great, and you were really nervous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you practiced, and let, I didn't. You got to feel that energy. You let it wash over you. You go into a fugue state. Yeah. Okay. And then you're just pitching comments. Let me assure you, in 30 seconds, you will remember none of this. So, all right, on next count. Ca- ca- <laughs> if you're ready, we will begin now. Axis is our first one. It's. You know, I haven't read it, but I know Marcus loves it, and it's bad guys and good guys fighting together. The Walking Dead, zombies are really great. The Fade Out, ooh, this one is awesome. Hollywood murder mystery, so cool. Lone Ranger, man, I need to skip up. Big Trouble in Little China. Have you seen the movie? Because this is a continuation. Dark Ages, I was reading about this the other day because I haven't gotten to read it yet. It sounds so cool. In time. Oh, God. I knew that was horrible. You did very, very well. You did very well. Don't even worry about it. So. I should have read up on more comics. No, that's good that you didn't read up on. (laughs) You don't want to know. You got to go in cold. Exactly. I think you did a great job. All these other ones. Oh, Captain Marvel's in there. I could have talked about that one. Went with five. Went with five. I'm accepting all of them. 
Yeah. Very well Skip done. Two. Congratulations. Great job. That was your first Thanks. time. It was a little charity on next part because, you know, it was your first round. And but, it was know. horrible. It's no, no, no. It's important. super mean to me. It's important, <laughs> it's important to point out you know on, on Curtis Sullivan's first run of The Hot Nasty, he got six. And I got five. I'm almost right. there. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And he was like a quivering mess. <laughs> yeah. True. Do you, next time, I'll be much better next time. Excellent. You did a great job. All right, well, we're going to take a little break here, and then we're going to come right back with your listener question and industry news. right into this week's industry news and we have some cool stuff going on this week first thing we're going to talk about is this just crazy smorgasbord that is happening happening with the thor annual number one curtis you've heard about some people on this team i've heard some people about some people on this team it seems like marvel's just testing out all the different people on the thor annual who did you hear was going to be writing for this book? So I'm super excited. I heard uh, Noelle Stevenson is making her Marvel Comics debut. She's going to write and draw a segment of this Marvel annual. What else has Noelle Stevenson done? Amanda. Noelle Stevenson is writing Lumberjanes, and she also has this amazing webcomic called Nimona that everyone should check out and will be published in May or March or something? Published in print. In print, Yes. And, uh, okay, cool. Noel Stevenson. We love that chick, and it's very exciting. A Marvel Comics debut for her, which could be a real career kind of oh, boost. Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, I think Lumberjanes has really proven her ability. She's also done, uh, I know she's doing some stuff on the Sleepy Hollow comic, like maybe a little mini thing. Oh, interesting. I haven't read it yet, but. You got me hooked on that show. It's so good. You are the oh, worst. I love it. My life Let's is. Let's talk about it yeah. later. Okay, deal. <laughs> All right, well, I have also heard about someone writing on the Thor Annual number one, and that is former WWE superstar CM Punk is going to be co authoring a story for Thor Annual. Now, I. Am not a wrestling person, um, so I when I heard about this, I was I was a little peeved because I like Thor and I like what's happening with this uh, this new Thor character. But um, CM Punk really, but apparently the dude is just like he's on podcasts all the time. He's a really good storyteller, very articulate. Had you know, and with wrestling comes acting. Yes. So maybe it could be cool. And like, if you think about someone, I saw this post on Reddit about it, and someone posted like, if you think about the way Thor fights, um, it's very like hands-on, grapple, up close in your face. So he could bring a really unique perspective to this comic because like he's done all the things. He jumps through the air, you know. So it could be interesting, Curtis. The only thing I know about CM Punk is that he has lots of tattoos and he wears tiny little shorts. Yeah. Tiny little shorts. That's all I know. That's it. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So it seems like Marvel's really testing the waters on this new Thor annual. They're not afraid to get loose. Now let's talk about what we've all been waiting to talk about. Curtis brought us news today that apparently the old internet is passing around some rumors of an Aunt May Spider-Man movie. Curtis, where did you learn about this? Well, so initially we heard a few months back... That uh, Sony's planning a female-led Spider-Verse movie to be announced. So they've announced that they're going to do it. What is it going to be? And when Who's you say Spider-Verse, you mean in, in this movie's cinematic movie's in, Spider-World, correct. not Spider-Verse, the comic we've been talking correct. about for the last couple months. Yes. Yeah. So in Sony's version of the Spider-Universe. Right. Uh, so the latest scuttlebutt via uh, the Latino Review. Which is legitimate. Which has been known to break some, some stuff. Is that Aunt May is getting a movie. Young Aunt May. 
Um, yeah, what they're saying is it's a movie about Aunt May as a youth before she was shouldered with the responsibility of raising Peter Parker. And the target mood is some sort of espionage story in the vein of AMC's Mad Men. That's brilliant. Has anyone ever heard of an Aunt May uh, backstory in which she's a spy? No, it's fabricated. It's not it's, in, it's not in the Marvel Because it's garbage. That's why it's fabricated. I don't hate it, though. No, you have to because like part of Peter Parker's origin is that his parents die and he's raised as like a very normal child. Yeah. When he's not Spider-Man, he's like a normal nerdy dude who's broke and Aunt May's like working double jobs so she can pay for him to go to college. That's a big part of who Peter Parker is. If Aunt May, you find out that like she used to be a spy and like she's slipping these little things into Peter because of course she knows he's Spider-Man. Right, because she's been in espionage for to. all these years. Yeah. So she's like secretly training him. That that hurts Peter Parker. We don't know that any there's no secret training. We don't know about any of that. You're theory crafting. Right I've now. Been, and we've talked about that. I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> help it. I kinda love this idea, if it's true. I hope you that really? if they get um who plays Aunt May? It's uh, <gasps> Sally Fields. Sally Fields. Sally Fields. I hope that it's like just a CG'd out Sally Fields. I hear yeah, she's not involved is what I uh, is God the yeah. damn it. She's a wonderful Aunt May. She's yeah, a she's great, great Aunt, Aunt May. May. Oh, and she's washing the... Near- Either way, um, the other theory is that maybe this is a little bit of a play. Not all the information has been passed out. And it may be a May Day Parker, who in alternate realities is Peter Parker's daughter. So right. That's the other thought. She's, from what I hear, she's a very loved character. Some of my friends who are super big Spider-Man fans were really upset about her Spider-Verse issue, actually. Oh. So. Which Spider-Verse issue was hers? She's an amazing Spider-Man. The issues with Miss Marvel. That's right. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I have been hoping that this female Spider-Man movie would either be like a really cool Spider-Woman would finally get her own thing or like with all the hype with Gwen Stacy getting her own run that maybe we'd see and Emma Stone is signed on for a third movie. So that could be the, her third movie, is that they've maybe been planning this all along. That seems way cooler to me than an Aunt May been planning anything all along. I don't believe it. <laughs> all right. So that's our industry news for the week. Uh, hopefully, if you hear anything around the internet or otherwise, you come into the shop and let us know. We'd love to hear what you're uh, excited about. Speaking of what you, the fans, are excited about, we're going to move on to our fan question of the week. Nick, what is it? Well, we don't know that he's a fan. But his name's Ryan, and he did ask us a question. And his question this week was, I'm going to truncate it a little bit, but he asked, how are you feeling about Marvel's movie franchises impacting their comic book universe? What a great segue. We were just talking about Marvel movies. Uh, I don't mean just mean costume or personality tweaks, but the apparent separation that's going on between the characters owned by Marvel Studios and those owned by other film companies. He talks about how Fantastic Four, the comic book, is getting canceled at the end of the year, how Wolverine is dead, and uh, there's uh, the Disney Infinity Marvel video game and how that kind of ties into things. So the idea, I guess what he's getting at here is should fans of the characters whose film rights have been sold off be punished? Uh, And is not publishing a Fantastic Four comic going to impact the rebooted uh, folks' uh, box office? So I would say, like, for Fantastic Four fans, and let's be honest, Fantastic Four has not been selling, right? This current run of Fantastic Four doesn't move very well at all, at least yeah. from our in our shop. That being said, the current Spider-Man run, and Spider-Man's owned not by Marvel, um, is some of the best Spider-Man I've read in such a long time. And it's huge. It's, right. it's a ginormous spider crossover with a billion different spiders. It's like, here's some fuel for your mu- movies, right. essentially. Exactly. So I don't see how that's... The, the break between the movies and the comic books have always been... It's a huge gulf, right? So the movies might take up ideas and plots that the comics have put into place many years later. So I don't know that we should be concerned at all about what's happening in comics immediately impacting movies because they're doing their own thing. That being said, the way that they swapped out old Nick Fury for new, very similar to Samuel L. Jackson in appearance Nick Fury to kind of make it match up with the movies was total dog shit. Well, let let me say that First appearance of Sam Jack Nick's Fury was in the Ultimates, yeah, which predates all other 
the movies, everything. I understand that. Um, and I thought it was a real neat take. And that was really intentional by the creators on that particular book. Every single character in that book is made to be someone, look like a, a Absolutely. movie star. And the, the tone of those movies is really taken off the Ultimates, which a lot of the vibe of it. True. It's right. much more but the Ultimates than just normal continuity. In, the, in the current Marvel Universe, like the standard one, Nick Fury now looks a lot like Sam Jackson. And right. the way right. they did that was like, Nick Fury had an affair with a lady and she had a kid and he went to war and then actual Nick Fury died. Are you seeing their retrofitting? Yeah, totally. Right. And then it's like, oh, well, you are related kind of to the original Nick Fury, so now you're the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And he's not the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's, he's an agent in S.H.I.E.L.D. But he's like, he's not like entry-level agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's like high up there hanging with Coulson. But he's not the new yeah. director. Yeah, no, but Coulson right. is now in the Marvel Universe where he never was before. That's true. true. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. they're, so they're feeding both ways. Yeah, Things right. are bleeding. And in the Marvel cinematic movies that are Marvel proper are tied way close, more closely right. to their books yeah. than the Sony-owned Spider-Man stuff or the Fox-owned you know, Fantastic Absolutely. Four. And isn't that the best situation that they just take the best parts of both and then they all kind of pick and choose? And right. Well, along with that, like with the Fantastic Four stopping, everyone is making the assumption right away that the reason that they're stopping Fantastic Four is to hurt the movie franchise when it comes out. A lot of people are saying on the other end, like, like we said, this fantastic. You're saying that the, the the idea is that Marvel is yeah. stopping because they don't own the rights to the Fantastic Four films, right? So they think Sony that by does. stopping the comic, they're going to hurt movie attendance. A lot of people have been saying like that's not the way movie attendance works. Like you're getting some bleed over, but a lot of these big blockbusters. It's people who've never picked up a comic before. Absolutely. A vast majority. Yeah. Right? So... Especially folks reading a book like Fantastic Four. That's right. a, it's a, In the scheme of movie audiences, that's a tiny, tiny fraction. So the other theory is, is that they're stopping the book. They're letting it die. They have faith that this movie is going to be really good. And then when it comes and it does well, they'll relaunch it in the likeness of that movie to try to get more readership. That, and that's all kind of, you know... That is all kind of cynical looking at the, which I'm all on board for, a cynical look at the comic book industry. But the Fantastic Four, as we've talked about this before, it's been canceled a bunch. Yeah. It's been relaunched lots and lots of times. There's lots of reasons why books get canceled. It has to do with creative talent. It has to do with sales numbers. There's so many things and we don't really know what's going on. Yeah, and in Marvel's grand history, the Fantastic Four is one of the biggest Silver Age books Mm -hmm. for Marvel. It's not going anywhere forever. I think there is some some weight to them kind of undermining, to a degree, the movie studio's uh, willingness to keep these franchises. I mean, because in an ideal world, Marvel gets everybody back under the umbrella. Yeah. So you do wonder a little bit, maybe, is there something there? If, if they stop kind of like feeding into these franchises a little bit, maybe they can offer Sony or Fox some money to, to get their stuff back under the big umbrella of yeah. Marvel. I just think that it would benefit Marvel a lot more to have a Fantastic Four comic going because, as we've seen, people see these movies and they come in and they're like, we need some Guardians of the Galaxy. And we're like, whoa. No, absolutely. Yeah. Nobody said that before this it, movie came out. You so. just know that by the time that movie has a release date that's set, then that comic's going to already be underway. And the, so that people can come in and start buying trade paperbacks and like jump right. on it because, the movie, because they saw the movie and dug it. Right. Ideally, what they'll do is they'll relaunch it so that right when that movie comes out, there will be a trade and maybe like one or two issues. And then they'll be, they'll be off to the races. Yeah. They're not dumb. They know exactly what they're doing. Right. So They really do. All right, well, this ends another episode of the Super Skull, the Vault of Midnight podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter under at Vault of Midnight. And you can get in touch with us for our question of the week segment or anything else at superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Super Skull can be heard on SoundCloud and iTunes every week on New Comic Book Day. All of the music on our podcast was created by A-Bomb. Our logo was designed by Phil Wong. Super Skull is brought to you by the Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff since 1996. This is Marcus Schwimmer for Nick Wybar, Amanda Aquino, and Curtis Sullivan wishing you good reading. Until next week.